You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com slash dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Mark and Brian Canlis. Mark and I received these two great inheritances of excellence and love. And our grand experiment is can taking care of your people make you the best in the world? I am really excited about this podcast. If you have not heard of Canlis Restaurant in Seattle, it is literally known as one of the best restaurants in this country, specifically for hospitality and how it serves its guests. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to Mark and Brian. They are both former Air Force guys who had separate in distinct career paths, and it led them back to their family's famed restaurant. I'm so excited to hear not only how Canlis came to be, what their role in it has been, but also where it's going in the future. If you are a foodie, this is a very exciting podcast, and I can't wait to dive in to the story of Canlis. Mark and Brian, how are you? Thanks, the two of us. Yes, together. Great to see you both. Likewise. Thank you for agreeing to be on To Dine for the podcast. It's wonderful to see you. 
You're welcome. We're happy to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm going to begin this podcast the way I begin all my podcasts, by asking both of you individually your favorite restaurant. If you could take me anywhere, where would it be? Hmm. What? Why are we going out to eat? <laughs> why are we? You can determine that. Well, I'm just saying it really matters. Mm-hmm. There's no does. favorite overall restaurant. Like there's so many categories. Exactly. We need to know kind of what what's going on here. Is this is this just like, you know, casual? Like, are we going just for a gastronomic experience? Are we going to actually have a relationship? I want to understand a new city in a new way. How about Um, I frame it this way? The idea is that someone's favorite restaurant often begins to tell you a little bit about them. It's not necessarily where they go, but why they go there. And so whether it's a place that is a nod to your culture, whether it's a restaurant from where you grew up, whether it's a restaurant that sort of encapsulates where you live now. So, you know, I really do believe that someone's favorite restaurant is often the beginning of their story. And so I always start the conversation by asking that question. Will Gadara, who I know you both know, chose your restaurant as his absolute favorite restaurant? I mean, it makes total sense. That he would choose Camus. <laughs> we just talk about. <laughs> but, you know, like he could have chosen anywhere in New York. And he oh, very yeah. specifically chose Canlis because it spoke to what his ethos and what he believes about hospitality, which I thought was, you know, a wonderful nod to your restaurant. So that is why I'm asking the question. And I leave it up to you to pick which restaurant. I'm not going to give you any extra parameters. You know, I think my favorite restaurant is probably it's that it's a chain it's called din tai fun yes you and, do love din tai and you, <laughs> love, <laughs> you love all the and different amazingly my first din tai fun experience was with will Gadera. the two of us were in shanghai and we found it accidentally and fell in love but i continue when i need to be restored or when i just need to be filled up both my stomach and my heart I go alone to Din Tai Fung. Do you really? I sit at the bar. The bartender's name is Darren. He knows me. And I order 20 dumplings and a little glass of sake. And I just, I'm just quiet and I'm in heaven. Mm. And, and I just told my wife, because I just had a, a weekend alone with the kids. And she was like, you should probably... Probably go out. I don't want to go with you. I don't want to. I want to just go alone. This bar. I want Darren to serve me dumplings. It is the one. I. It's the place I return to the most because yes. I am known. They know my name. They know my order. It's the. Cons, it's consistent. Does twenty dumplings do it for you? It's uh, <laughs> a lot of dumplings. Twenty oh, no, dumplings is a lot. I can go. I can go thirty. No problem. <laughs> It just depends on hungry. I'm just like I'm disciplined. I'm not just like <laughs> I guess it's all relative. I'd be like, oh, on one. I just love it so much. And anytime guests come into town who don't have Din Tai Fung in their city, I'm like, let's just go. You know, there's this ritual of the spoon and the chopsticks and the ginger and the vinegar and how you put the whole thing together. It's it's this practice of eating a soup dumpling properly, which yes. I take great joy in. And also, don't you think that eating alone is really underrated? 
I really love the, the, the going to sit at the bar and you you have a completely different dining experience alone than with with a friend or whatever. You're, you you get actually, uh, I think, a more full spectrum dining experience because you really interact with the staff more. You notice things. You're, you're clocking yourself how long the, you know, the yeah. food's coming out. You really have you're more a- more present to the restaurant. Yes, yeah. you're more present to the restaurant. It's a great way to put it. And you're more present to yourself. Yes. yes. The last time I dined alone, no, that's not the last time, but the one that's, <laughs> that stands out in my head is that I was, I didn't, I didn't know it was Valentine's Day. I was alone. You dined alone on Valentine's, on Valentine's Day? Day? It's so and sad. Then, I know, I was, at, I was at a conference thing. And then anyhow, it, everyone at the bar was like, hey, sorry, man. I was like, no, 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 actually, I, I love dining alone. And I just was completely <laughs> clueless. You're like, I'm, I'm married. married, I'm out of town. Before I was married, I was just completely oh. clueless to the idea that it was Valentine's Day. That's actually a good day to dine alone. Because you could get that one seater. Yeah, you get that one spot in the bar, but I wouldn't recommend it on that particular. With all other nights, I think dining alone is better. And what what do you think of the question now? Have you and now that you've had a chance to sort of let it marinate? My head goes to two places. There's there's a restaurant I go to all the time in real life, and there's one I go to all the time in my head. And my wife and I go to this place called La Carta Mezcaleria, which is we can walk to from our home. Okay. It, Mexican restaurant. We get the same thing every time and we go there. It's like inviting your best friend over. We go there because we need the restaurant to be a part of the, it's like, it's like our, you can go there. We can crash when we are completely out of energy and just sort of have the place hold us up. We can, we've gone to celebrate. It's just easy. It's our neighborhood spot. We get margaritas every time. Four is too many and two is not enough. So we typically, <laughs> we, we've got it dialed in. We, we leave in the leave. Three and a half. You go for us. Three and a half is sort of the thing. And I absolutely love it. We have taken so many people there. The one I go to in my head all that time, all the time is this restaurant you and I dined at when kind of when we were kids and traveling with mom and dad to France. And it's like 200 years old and it only serves, you know, one thing. And uh, they've just been doing that forever. And uh, I love this. Simple, it was way out. Like, I don't even know the name. What was the one thing? Way out in the countryside. Yeah, what do they serve? They serve, uh, hold on, cassoulet. Oh. They serve cassoulet. And, okay. I mean, they might have like a little thing here and there, but you go and you get, ca- it's like what you do. And sure. In my head, I am dining at that restaurant all the time. I loved it. I loved the aesthetic of it. I love the simplicity of it. I loved the uh, the genuineness of it and the no fuss and the just the honesty of coming in and then being served this dish. Like this is what we serve. I, I, I go to that restaurant. I wish I knew the name. It's been 30 years since we dined there. Well, you bring up a great point, and that is the experience, whatever that looks like, that can really be defining, whether it's really entertaining or just so unique. Like, whatever the restaurant gives you as an experience that you kind of wrap your brain around and that you love and that you want to recreate, right? Like, at the end of the day, we go back to restaurants because whatever that experience looked like, we want to do it again. Yeah, in a certain way. Right. It has and met us, yes. Found us and met us and served us in, I think, a way that we deeply need often. Yes. I think that's too strong a, a way to say it, but I think sometimes you just need what that experience can, can only provide you. Can know. give you, yes. 
everything I've ever heard about Canlis has to do with hospitality and has to do with impeccable service, you know, across the board. Because I've, I've, you know, in, I've been doing this podcast for three years. I've been doing the, sh- the TV show on PBS to dine for for four years, and many people have brought up Canlis to me. And so I'm wondering, where does that come from? And if you had to pinpoint where it all started, what would you say? You're not wondering where it comes from. You know, and you're not saying it because you want us to say it. I am wondering. Yeah. Is it your family? Where, where's the origin story here? I think all, well, you can tell the origin story, but I, I think all hospitality comes from carving out space in someone's heart. It is making space for the other, or the person who is not us, who's not like us, who is different from us. I think so f- for us, if anyone feels anything special on the dining room floor, it's most often that somebody else in this restaurant created a space for them. But who inspired that idea? Was that who, who in your family, who, who, st- who started it all? Um, it's an ancient biblical concept, but in our family, uh, it starts with our great grandmother. Probably. We're, we're, <laughs> you know, we don't entirely know that's why we're looking at each other right now. I mean, it's, I, I mean, mean, so yeah, really we are, we, we are fourth generation restaurateurs. So our great grandfather, emigrated from Greece, started a restaurant in Northern California in the early 1900s. A great grandmother who came from Lebanon. Yeah. And so he married a Lebanese immigrant and they had this mom and pop Greek restaurant. And that, that was the, that was the first hospitality. What was it called? It was called the, it's called the the food palace and fish grotto. How awesome is that? That's amazing. (laughs) And their palace and fish grotto. If it swims, we serve it. If it swims, we serve it. You know, they don't have the tagline. They don't (laughs) have restaurants like they used to. That's a real tagline. Yeah. And so then our grandfather, he opened a restaurant in Honolulu in the 40s called the broiler. Called the broiler. Because he was going to broil meat. Yeah. (laughs) And, And so he started to get also some radical ideas around hospitality. Um, how he hired, how he treated his staff, the things that who that, he hired, and the kinds of hospitality that I mean, in those, you got to think in the '40s, everyone is emulating these great restaurants of Europe, right? That's what we thought was cool in, in the United States, and our cuisine is largely taking its cues from across the Atlantic. And our grandfather, he he hired all. Japanese women in that first restaurant, kind of making a statement that you got to think in 1947 in Hawaii, in this country, we had strong thoughts about Asia and particularly Japan, but he knew that kind of service, which was team styled service and that kind of hospitality was different. And in his belief, better than a lot of what we were seeing in Europe at the time. So that is the foundation upon which our company was built no the first i mean the so the, he opened this restaurant that we're sitting in now in 1950 in seattle your grandfather yeah and so you know our first chef here was chinese american his name was joe ching and he wanted to live in a neighborhood with a great school district and they wouldn't let him because that neighborhood was redlined seattle had a ton and, of red and so the banks said no we're not we're not gonna give you a loan you're you're chinese american like it, that was not that long ago which mm just incredible to think about. And our grandfather went and knocked on all the doors on the block and said, 
my chef is going to move into this neighborhood. You got a problem with that? Are you cool with that? Or and they all said no. And so he he bought the house and worked around the bank to get him the loan. And the chef was the first Chinese American to live in a neighborhood just north of here, and kind of the first one to break the redlining because our grandfather believed that. That's not how you treat people. Well, not only that, Joe jo Ching was into organic gardening. <laughs> this is the 50s. He had composted everything from the restaurant to create garden Obsessive beds. about sourcing. Uh, in those days, often going out and getting his own fish, uh, going to the meatpacking markets and stamping his own thing. He was also an emotionally mature and present leader. Like things you didn't sometimes or often see in restaurants. His staff loved him. In, in leadership ways and um, and this place and almost in paternal ways in the way that it cared for its staff. So you have this legacy, these, you know, seven decades plus now of um, what does it look like when uh, we care for well, one another well? Mm -hmm. And that to me is, is maybe the most important legacy and, and the thing that we most benefit from today. That's 73 years of people choosing to make space for one another, meaning employees, long before you do it with the guests. Right. It, uh, the guest is secondary, always in, in that. And so it's asking ourselves as a company, you know, recognizing there's no way we could practice hospitality for a guest if we're not doing it with one another. It would be a, a hypocrite's game. And so what does it look like when we do this for each other? That came from our grandparents and our great grandparents and the staff that they hired and the people that built this company. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you, so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. 
To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. Nowadays, everyone's talking about company culture, right? And like, how do you create it? How do you create a great company culture to the point that it's almost become ridiculous? It's a little bit buzzy and very LinkedIn, right? And what you're talking about is at the very heart of creating, and it's really not about a restaurant. It's about creating an environment with how people can really thrive and, and be a part of a community and care about each other, right? So whether you're creating a community of teachers or whether you're creating a restaurant, you're really talking about how are you creating a great community is at the very beginning. Company culture isn't a ping pong table in the break room. Right. Lipstick on a pig. Yeah, it, company culture is creating an environment where your employees are flourishing. Mm-hmm. They are becoming who they hope to become as humans, mm-hmm. as individuals, right? Substitute the word culture for belief. It's a mm-hmm. place where the people believe that they matter and that they can truly become themselves or a better version of themselves. It's a place where they believe that they are seen for who they are, um, not for just what they can produce. You both grew up in the restaurant business. Did you both have an an idea that you wanted to continue on and be in the restaurant business or did sub 18 years old, are you thinking I want and nothing to do with this? We didn't think this would be an option. No, our parents were pretty staunch advocates in us going off and doing something else. Yeah, we, we, we always knew that maybe- I, mean, I knew it wouldn't be an option for him. Because <laughs> the chance of him, you know, making it. No, huh? we, I definitely did not think I would end up in this business and didn't really want to, but not that I didn't like it. I, our parents really did a good job of saying, go out into the world and find out what you love. Mm. With, and, then, and, and, and you found me. And, <laughs> you ever think you did, is that how this is? No, and so <laughs> Mark, that's what happened, is that Mark decided to come back and try the restaurant business and it, first. And it was, I was terrible. I, I failed miserably. I was, I was still in the military at the time. And our parents were like, you really need your brother. Yeah, like, so they, <laughs> They started to fly me in for family meetings to help see if we could figure out generational transfer. Okay, so talk me through that. What was the was the was it brought to you by your family? Hey, let's do a generational transfer. Who's gonna who's who's volunteering for this? Or was it I would like to do this? Early on, it's it's a little bit of both. Early on, mom and dad. You know, when we were kids, it was never an option. But then when I was in the military, yeah, there was a phone call that went out that said, "Hey." There's three of us. We have an older brother. Hey, boys, we can't do this like, forever. We're getting older. And we don't have the energy we can see over the horizon. And we don't we don't think we have what it takes to yeah. take the restaurant to that We place. have like a five-year mm-hmm. runway. So, yeah. so is, what do you is think? Is anybody interested? Like, Wait, Shape up or ship out, right? Yeah, for real. So I came back to try it. And you came back a couple years later. And uh, we put our older brother on the board of directors so we could kind of stay close to him and keep hearing from him and have his input into what we're doing. We're all all through pretty close. And it just started to work. It just started to to gel. How is the restaurant different with you two at the helm? Oh, I think so. Our our grandfather ran this restaurant with a passion 
and a, a drive for excellence for making it the greatest, most beautiful restaurant in the world. He was very outspoken about it being better than anywhere in the world. Like he mm-hmm. was, we're number one, we're number one. Mm-hmm. And our, our, our parents ran the restaurant with the mentality of, we care about our, the, the, our staff, our community, our neighbors, our vendors. We care about people better than anyone in the world. Mm. And Mark and I received these two great inheritances of excellence and love. Mm. And our grand experiment is, can we do both at the same time? Wow. And does, in fact, I would even say, can taking care of your people make you the best in the world? Uh Like, Like if we just... Because we're the, to reverse those generations a little bit, like, can that be the platform from which you excel? Because, and, the, because the pattern out there for the most part in the world's great restaurants is they become so on the backs of their people. Oh, even um, restaurants. I mean, yeah, it's, we have a pretty, we have a pretty dark culture out there in, in the industry. And so especially the, 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 sometimes the restaurants that make it on TV or, their chefs become famous. There, there's this sad, angry world around chef culture, which fortunately today is being as light is being sh- shined on it. Yes, and it is changing, and people are standing up in a more exciting and beautiful way. Something that we've been cheering for and hoping for for a long time, and we're excited to start to see some change in this place in this industry. We think the way to greatness. That's our big theory that we're trying to prove i would call it like a hypothesis yeah like, could you could we prove that it's worth putting other people first i mean literally like, the mission of the company is to inspire people to turn toward one another that is what we want to do with our restaurant and as a as a side gig as an output of that we'll create meals and 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 care for and restore guests but the point of the company isn't just to, to cook dinner and, and does that start from hiring? Does that start from, you know, the leader in who's on every shift? Or where do you think that begins? Like, how do you begin to achieve that goal? I think at some point the owners have to decide or the people in charge have to decide this is what matters most to us and not play at lip service. Hmm. And from that point forward, you can start clumping people around you. And yeah, it becomes, you know, you just like... You see these people who you're like you're you're you're, you're too you're special. Yeah, you're you're a light on this planet, and we got and we need you shining brightly here. Mm. And you bring them in, and you let them glow. I mean, literally, that is kind of how I think about it. As mm. if you were, you know, not that you're capturing so many fireflies, but like it's this idea that you are finding people who resonate with your mission and who you say to them, hey is it possible that working here will actually help you become the kind of human being you're trying to become not in spite of your work not on your on your on the side or at night when you go home but but because of your work it is having a transformative effect on who you're hoping to become Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the operative hiring question and from that place you go forth and see if you can run a restaurant yeah and it happens every i mean it's interwoven into everything that we do. It's every staff meeting. It's it's not every staff meeting. I, I just mean like eighty percent. Like eighty percent. The because it really is the most important thing to both of us. Then it influences every single decision that we're making. Mm-hmm. And 
It's how you make decisions. You say yeah. to yourself, will this decision help the company inspire all people to turn toward one another? Yeah. No. Okay. Let's go a different direction. <laughs> Plan I'm, B. I'm, Let's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you also, in orientation with new employees, you were like, hey, this is who we are. This is who we're trying to be. If you ever see a moment or feel a way that we're not being this, raise your hand and call it out because we'll never do this if just the two of us are alone. But the hundred of us are working towards the same goal and calling each other out when we fall short, which happens all the time. And when you're that public about it, it's not like our secret mission. It is our public mission with all of our staff that this is what we're trying to do. Which allows, you know, you just if we can talk business for a second. It allows you to take profitability and just set it aside for a second. It allows mm-hmm. you to take profitability and make it a, a rule to the game of business, not mm-hmm. a strategy for business. Mm-hmm. To say, well, you just have to make enough money so that you can pay all the bills and uh, keep the lights on and re-roof the place when it, when it gets old. And after that, then you get to play your game, which, right. which to us is this thing around inspiration and turning towards. And so a lot of businesses, until they've made that decision, they're still sort of beholden to this idea that the point of the company is to produce cash. And some companies, and that's fine, by the way, uh, love cash, nothing wrong with it. But I just think it's really important to acknowledge like, hey, the point of this company is to make money. And the point of that company is to do something else. And um, sometimes we we differentiate in our heads, well, those are nonprofits or for-profits. And I really just think that thinking, that sort of very bipolar thinking is not true anymore to, to many of, of the best companies um, that we pay attention to. So those Venn diagrams overlap beautifully and can overlap. How has the food served evolved over the years? How has it changed? And what do you see moving forward? Meaning what, where, where would you like to take it from a from sort of a gastronomical standpoint, where would you would you like to see it change, and and how has it changed? I'm getting visual. Aid. Be right back. Mark, Mark just left to get a visual aid. I have no idea what he's getting. <laughs> Is he gonna get like a giant fish? Is there a mackerel coming out? Oh, hold this, on, hold on, this hold is on. great. This is like the best. Okay, hold on. Is this going to work? we got a little glare here. Well, but... Mark, I don't think this podcast is visual. Oh, no, I no, just... no, no, Mark, no, I want to see. Hold on. So, hold on. <laughs> so here's a picture. Can you yes, see? Yes, I can see, see the, the picture. Grandma. Yes, old school dining. You see the old like camera from 1950? Yes, all... from KOMO, Seattle, um, TV station. Hanging over his... Yes. Okay. Do you see the coffee that she's spooning out? Oh, it's yes. Maxwell House. Oh, my gosh. She is having a Maxwell House. Yeah. It's instant coffee. Cup, instant coffee. So in when NASA fine dining about how to freeze dry food, our grandfather thought, oh, my gosh, this is this is the very freshest cup of coffee. This is the most advanced. You can get. Most exciting coffee in the world. We have to have it. And he changed the coffee program because that at the time was considered the, the best coffee. Instead of brewing it wow. and fresh Wow. We found you this could make it to order years ago. We were like, wait a minute. If in the 60s and 50s, the goal was to be the best coffee program in the world, then what are we doing today to make sure that we are still the best coffee program in the world? Ah. And I think of that I, with coffee, I think of that with our entire menu. The idea isn't that you walk into this place and feel like you've stepped back in time. The idea is that you walk into this place and feel like it is cutting edge. It yes. is modern and contemporary. And it's not that we lose ourselves. We don't forget our story or forget where we came from 
or stop allowing those things to influence us. Just the opposite. You take the constraint of wh where you've come from and who you've been, and you use that constraint uh, to harness and create creativity to move the ball down the field. So the, the menu is ever evolving and ever changing. Aisha does an incredible job uh, pushing us. Can you give me an example of, of like maybe something that's currently on the menu or will be in the menu that is kind of uh, illustrative of what you're talking about? Great, great example of the coffee, but I'm just wondering like right yeah. now, because you are known as one of the most innovative restaurants, right? So uh, so many people are looking to you as like, what's next? How, how are we going to be dining? What we, Obviously plate size has gotten smaller. People don't want to have massive, you know, huge and that, that's that's here to stay right we want something really delicious that makes us feel like we can walk out floating on air and that we're not bogged down farm to table we get that come on you know but like what what what's currently happening at canless or will be i think what aisha does such a good job at is she sees us in this time and place and so she just put a, a mushroom on the menu that is that uses um a teriyaki tradition to it um i'm, I'm gonna hesitate come short calling it teriyaki mushroom but we always had beef teriyaki on the menu and you know beef with its varying levels of sustainability and very much not sustainable in some ways i think the idea that you would need to have a protein a, a traditional protein to be the center of the plate um has sunset a little bit and it's yeah to sort of jump the shark a bit and so she, what she's saying is, look, even in a restaurant like this, you could come in and I could make this the singular mushroom center stage. And I could honor the fact that this town was largely built by Asian Americans and mm. the tradition of teriyaki as well as Polynesian cooking and other things. We could merge all of those things. Mm. Um, she's looking at a 1950 menu that had uh, a beef teriyaki dish on it cooked over, over sure. charcoal yeah. and then she's looking at today and she's looking at traditions of the people of this city and saying well isn't this what's most expressive mm. of this region right now wow and can we do that in a way that's truly fine dining and that is uh, you know a great example of her leadership and in you you mentioned her name is isha is that right yeah aisha ibrahim okay and she is your executive chef Yes. So how important is storytelling to, first of all, the menu, right? Like it sounds like that particular dish is an, a beautiful example of how do you tell like where you, food is a sense of place and a sense of region, but how important is storytelling when you, to every aspect of your, of your business? Oh, I, we, we love stories as long as they're true <laughs> and that, and that you don't lead with them. Mm -hmm. So every dish on our menu has a story. Every ingredient mm -hmm. has a story. It's important to know those stories. It's important to understand who cooked this and why, and what was Aisha thinking when she dreamed it up? Or what was the moment that we were all having dinner together when we thought oh, we could do a dish like this and do it? But like every one of those stories matters. I think we have to be careful not to assume that that story belongs at the table. Ooh, interesting. So it, it needs, it needs, it informs like you the big picture thinking of creating the menu and, and creating the ethos for your restaurant, but it's not necessarily information that every diner needs to hear every detail of. No, I mean, if they want to ask, Hey, tell me about this dish. I'm, right. I'm curious about it. Oh, we'd love to. It's so presumptuous to assume that the diner wants to know the story of a dish. It, like, it just drives me nuts. Like I might be in the middle of a conversation with my daughter. 
and I don't get that chance back. And so for you to interrupt and tell me about it, I don't give a rat's ass where the mushroom came from. Not right now. Right. I might but if like, if this is our anniversary and we're having a serious conversation or maybe we're having a hard conversation and it's yeah. awkward to presume anything, I think in that way is overstepping. Yeah. So storytelling is important, but in a very subtle way. Oh, I think when it's the right time and place, then yeah. you have it. You know, when we yeah. do orientation, we're sitting in front of this tree, right? So I'm going to turn the camera around so you can see it. So we can do orientation. We bring the staff up here. We stand in front of this window. And we say, does anyone know what kind of tree that is? And of course, everyone's like, oh, uh, I don't know, pine tree? Um, <laughs> that's a Lebanese cedar. Ah, It was beautiful. planted by our grandfather. It was about eight feet tall when this place was built for his Lebanese mother, right? Aww. So that's a pretty cool story now. It's yeah. 30 feet tall. And okay, who cares? If you're sitting downstairs on table 27 next to the stunning tree, fine. But if somebody asks and says, you know, what a beautiful tree. Yeah, what kind of tree is that? Yeah, and the server goes, oh yeah, isn't it pretty? It it tells the story of our restaurant. It has grown up, it's a little bit older than our restaurant and it was planted for the founder's mom who is Lebanese, the Lebanese cedar. Suddenly the story is a gift. Mm. The story is the kind of depth and unraveling that we all sort of crave. It's a rabbit hole that we chose to go I sit you on table 27. I say, welcome to Canlis. You get to sit next to this tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like, okay. The worst. Um, yeah, back off, please. Like, yeah. I, uh, yeah. right? Oh. We, all, we all been there. We've all felt the sort of like, I feel like we, 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 we need to have flair. The person needs to have flair on their apron. We need yes. flair on the apron. Uh, oh, yeah. my gosh. Um, let me, I'm really curious. How have you both individually changed since you've come back to work where you're sitting right now meaning you were you have seven children <laughs> together you have seven that's incredible right. well, that, that's a big one we'll start right. there but yes. i just you know, i mean like this six you know you're all everywhere we're all on a journey and here you are coming yeah. back to take over this like very storied restaurant that has an amazing reputation i'm sure you know you have varying thoughts i'm just wondering since you've been back how do you feel differently I do think having children changes the person and ought to. Um, I think running a staff of 100 or 110 for 20 years changes you. I, to speak personally, I hope, I think I have become less hard-hearted, a, a little more open to the world not being so black and white as I want it to be and sort of the nuance of or the tension of having to hold two truths at the same time sometimes. like. I, I think that when you when you are in a job where there's a discipline on us, an imposed discipline of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, I wish I could say I was courageous enough to do that on my own, but if I didn't work in a restaurant, I probably would never do this. <laughs> but in a restaurant, you have to, or you should, and you suddenly see the world through their lens. It has an effect of softening, I think, at least on me, the way I see other people. And that... Um, that comes from the what sometimes can feel like a real crucible. The dining room floor forces you into this place where you have to get outside of yourself and see it through someone else's eyes. And uh, I'll be honest, that it sucks sometimes to do that. It's hard. That's hard work. And I'm so thankful for it. Mm. Yeah. I am also thankful for him changing in this way. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm guessing you're the baby. I'm learning that I'm not always right. And well, I used to think I was. Well, no, that, that's Are awesome. you the third born? I am the third, third born. I could have guessed that. Yeah. Uh, gosh. Well, on the Enneagram. Yeah. So it is good to be right. But, but most of the time. Now it's just, it used to be always. Now it's just. I think so one way I've changed is learning that better isn't always better. Or, gosh, you know. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I, it makes no sense what I just no, said. It doesn't. We, <laughs> I just remember when we first came back and started changing things, we maybe didn't honor other people's perspective as much as we should have. It's like 2003, 2005. We're sort of yeah, when, trying to understand how do we get this tired. 20 like years if, ago. It, Both of you have been there for 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So if we change the bread, we used to have store-bought bread, which if we're going to be a world-class restaurant, we can't have store-bought bread, right? Right. But the, but the, um, so many of our guests loved our store-bought bread. Mm. So when we made our bread better and made it fresh and ground our own flour and the whole thing had story and it was really Delicious special. Delicious and unique to this place. And Where's the old bread? I want the old bread. That doesn't mean it was bread. better. Right. Right. When I celebrated, you know, and yes. it's not about the bread, yeah. but it's about the relationship and the and the person at the table. If I go to Din Tai Fung tonight and Darren is like, hey, we got rid of those dumplings, but check check out these new ones. I'm going to be like, are you nuts? <laughs> are Where you are the dumplings? I want, give me my old dumplings. Right? So the trick is a restaurant can't just give the old dumplings. It can't just for the old bread. But when it makes a change, it needs to make make the change in, into the greater service of the other. Yes, and I think we were a little cavalier in early on, and and I believe that that lesson mm. is true in friendship, in marriage, in parenting with your brother, with your brother. <laughs> it's like this. It's this idea that I think I know what you want without being curious mm. about why they want it or why their story is true. My, we we have mm. a we have a saying in my marriage is, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be married?" <laughs> And I'd be like, because I always, I'm always trying to be, um, my first reaction is, is she right or wrong? And am I right or wrong? Can I be defensive or offensive? Instead of just turning towards being curious and being like, I want to understand that perspective without yeah. placing judgment on it. Mm. And that's what, when you're a 70, almost 75 year old restaurant now, there is a temptation to do one extreme or the other, to stay old and never change because people like it. Or to think we can't be old, we have to be new and sexy. Let's change everything. Mm -hmm. But to do both to honor stories and yeah, to and honor to, the past, to honor to hold the guests. Both intention is the trick. Oh, and it's it's hard to do, but it creates something extraordinary. It is what we do when we meet somebody else. It's not a loss of self mm -hmm. uh, for the other. That's not service or hospitality. That's uh, reckless. Yeah. In fact, it's a great and glorious loss of self. Well, I really, I really feel like what you just said speaks to where you are as a restaurant, right? You're at a, at a crossroads, you know, and you're looking forward. And how do you listen with with great empathy and intention, and and move forward with learning from what you've listened to, you know? Yeah. So we've all been there. We've all been there. We all know it. Yeah. It's like ah, oh, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if there's anyone guilty of not turning towards it, be the two of us. Like, like. Right. So literally, we're say, we're saying, hey, this is how we as people want to grow or want yes. how we want to change. 
Right, because it'd be easy to be innovative just for innovation's sake, and it would be easy to just do the same thing over and over again because it's successful. So it's like, what's that balance between the two that's going to move this amazing restaurant forward? Yeah, I don't think uh, you do, you innovate for innovation's sake. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are actively answering that question every day we come to work. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you both for this time. I know the listeners of To Dine For will, will really enjoy this conversation. And I know you're very busy people. So I thank you for making the time. It's you're really welcome. Yeah. I, so I can't wait. The next time I come to Seattle, I will yeah. stop by. Please do. Yeah. But thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Take care. Thanks for listening to To Dine For the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at to dine for TV and Facebook at to dine for with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 